Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique. Ryan will be joining us a bit later in the show, but who do we have right now? Larry Arnold. Larry Arnold was trained in the methodology of science with an undergraduate major in mechanical engineering. He later worked for the private sector in electrical engineering. Larry developed a burgeoning fascination with human consciousness potential and undertook a new province of study, the unexplained. In 1976, he founded Parascience International. As director of PSI, he combines his scientific background with investigating and describing the intriguing world of... Fortiana. Fortiana. Okay. I'm going to get that one of these days. Promise. (laughs) Those unconventional subjects and weird events that fail to find acceptance, let alone explanation, within the boundaries of today's science. Larry's internationally recognized for his pioneering research in spontaneous human combustion. His website is parascience.com, and the book that we'll kind of be discussing tonight, along with some other stories, is Ablaze, The Mysterious Fires of Spontaneous Human Combustion. And where can they get that? Do you want them to go to your website, or do you have another place where they can pick two, that Two up? areas will work just fine. Either go to our website and then contact us by email, and we'll negotiate the terms and the shipping at that point. Or they can go to Amazon.com and, and search our name and okay. the full title and find it there. Okay, great. All right. Well, welcome to Cryptique. How are you doing tonight? We're doing fine. It's our delight and pleasure and honor to be with you this evening and share some of the research that we've done for the last four and a half decades with uh, your audience tonight. And honestly, in the research that I've done, it's not really that you're just the best at this. You're one of the few people that's even willing to tackle this subject. So that makes you unique. What got you started in spontaneous human combustion? When you're in junior high school, eighth grade, we picked up a paperback book, and in that book called Stranger Than Science was a chapter about incredible mm-hmm. cremations. Still <laughs> have awesome. the book. And the, the, the feature of that chapter was the apparently bizarre fire fatality of Mary Hardy Weiser in St. Petersburg on July 2, 1951. Um, she was burned almost to a cinder, leaving behind a foot, a few pieces of calcined vertebrae, and was said by the first responders at the time to have been her head shrunken to the size of a yeah. teacup or grapefruit, very small. This is not supposed to happen in a no. high heat thermal event. Um, it seemed weird, but we didn't know whether the author, Frank Edwards, had made up the story to sell a couple more paperback books or if he, being a newspaper reporter, had presented this story as true fact. Mm-hmm. Um, after we left the engineering profession, we um, had never encountered other teachers or writers or um, professors in college who knew anything about this subject. Mm-hmm. So we took a weekend to go down to the Library of Congress in D.C., pulled up some microfilm um, in their archives and got uh, discovered that Mary Reese's death was a front page story in the Tampa Tribune and the St. Petersburg Times. Mm-hmm. And for about a month, all the authorities were absolutely bumfuddled by how she could have burned so completely, including her chair and an end table next to the chair. And yet other surrounding materials in her apartment in St. Pete um, that were much more readily inflammable than is a human body had escaped damage. Um, it was eventually determined that she had dropped a cigarette in her lap, and we can come back to that later. Sure. Um, <laughs> but initially, initially, we were thinking maybe it's a one-off. Maybe there's just some extraordinarily weird set of circumstances that allowed Mrs. Research to burn so thoroughly mm-hmm. and so atypically. She, she, 
Bottom line is she burned more completely than normally can be done with a cadaver and a crematorium retort. Right. Uh, several years later, we got tipped off to a case that had another Pennsylvania connection. Mary Reeser was a Pennsylvania native, uh, mm -hmm. spending her last uh, last days down in St. Pete, Florida. And when we learned about a case that might have involved a family physician here in Pennsylvania, we started making phone calls, and those phone calls gave us enough impetus to make some trips to northern Pennsylvania to talk to the first responders who were involved in the discovery and the witnessing of what happened to Dr. John Irving Bentley on December 5, 1966. And his flaming fate was very much like Mrs. Reeser's. He left behind in his bathroom a hole in the floor, tangential to which was half of a human leg. The uh, first responder who discovered the fire scene thought it was a mannequin leg. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Mr. Gosnell's first thought was, why would Doc Bentley, a 92-year-old retired physician, have a mannequin leg in his bathroom? <laughs> sure. Only when he got down and looked at it closer did he realize, oh, my God, this wasn't a mannequin leg. This is a human leg. And Mr. Gosnell, being a, a gas meter reader for the North Penn Gas Company up in um, Potter County, had just been in Dr. Bentley's basement to read the gas meter. And while he was down in the basement, he had kicked a pile of ash on the earthen floor that he described to us was about 14 inches in diameter and about five inches in height. Mm -hmm. When he saw the human leg lying against the hole in the bathroom floor, he realized that when he had been down in the basement a few minutes earlier, that pile of ash was the remnants of Dr. Bentley's body. Dr. Bentley left behind, as wow. we said, half of, half of one leg, a few and, and a head that was burned so badly resting on water pipes below the floorboards that some of the first responders did not identify it as a human head, and a patella, wow. a kneecap that was lying atop a post in the basement. So his, uh, I'm sorry to cut in, his, his leg burned up, but his patella was intact? Correct. That is... I have no words. You, you, you I, look, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's how the first responders in Dr. Bentley's bathroom were responding to. Um, they just, man, it was beyond their belief. It was beyond their knowledge of what is supposed to happen to any human-involved fire fatality. Um, yeah. The place was clearly localized. Um, the photograph that we got from the newspaper editor who gave it to us saying, I would never publish it. Larry, you can do whatever you want with this photograph. I will never print this because it's too gruesome. Um, mm -hmm. Directly above part of the perimeter of the hole through which most of Dr. Bentley's body immolated, burned downward, was um, a bathtub painted with enamel paint. Not, you know, not mm -hmm. baked on, but paint. We chipped paint off that tub. The paint did not blister, and yet it was directly above the hole through which Dr. Bentley burned. Dr. Bentley was a semi-invalid. He used an aluminum walker to locomote between the sitting room and his bathroom. The aluminum walker is lying askew above the hole. Now, aluminum will melt at 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. It is completely intact. In a crematorium, mm. the, the retort will operate at about 22 to 2,400 degrees for an hour to an hour and a half before the temperature is somewhat lowered. Mm. You need that kind of incredible heat to reduce an adult human body to not just ashes, but bone fragments. Those bone fragments are yeah. then ground up in something called a cremulator. Dr. Bentley burned himself in his bathroom more thoroughly than can normally be achieved by a crematorium operator. 
We stand six feet tall. We can stretch our hand upward to the ceiling in Dr. Bentley's bathroom. We were there. We could touch the ceiling directly Mm -hmm. above that hole. There's not a scorch mark on the ceiling. People say that, well, Larry, you don't understand. When fire begins to burn, heat doesn't radiate out very far. Mm -hmm. It goes upward. Duh. We do realize this. We do have have an engineering background. We have taken advanced arson study courses here at the Pennsylvania Fire Mm -hmm. Academy. We know what firefighters should encounter at a fatal fire scene. What Dr. Bentley left behind in his bathroom was anything but conventional, anything but normal quite bizarre and fits perfectly the criteria for classic spontaneous human combustion as history has defined the idea. Now, when we're talking about these photos and we're looking into seeing if we can even put them on YouTube, I mean, I can't imagine that they would ding us for them, but we we are talking about a pile of ash with a leg that's just just there. Mm -hmm. Like, no, uh, almost like the leg was taken away and then the body was burned and then the leg was brought back. I mean, how there's it's impossible, right? I mean, it's impossible. That, yeah. Um, based, based on what we know about fire science, yes, it's impossible. In fact, the, the, the scenario that you just proposed was actually advanced for, for, for Mary Weezer's death in, in St. Pete. It was argued by some that she was the victim of an arson murderist who had broken into her apartment um, the night of July 1st killed her or took her out of the apartment, burned her off-site, and then brought back to her apartment and salted the place with her foot and a few pounds mm-hmm. of ash. That is, in our view, more outrageous and more improbable than actually considering the reality of spontaneous human combustion or in these classic cases like Mary Weezer and Dr. Bentley, what we prefer to call sudden human cremation. Mm-hmm. And, and that wouldn't, like if a person was doing something like that. Now I I did a true crime podcast for a long time, watch a lot of true crime and stuff. That's not a person that just does that one time. Now, now I I agree with you that it's a ridiculous explanation, but in order to believe that you would have to believe that one person, or even if it was a team or whatever came in, abducted this person, knew how to perfectly do Mm -hmm. this, set it back there, Never did it again, never did it before, just that one time, and it was perfect. And that's not how serial killers work. So we know that's BS. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's preposterous to, to it's preposterous to have even proposed that, but the case was so bizarre, so problematic, and so just weird mm-hmm. that even the most extreme the logical explanations were put forward in order to avoid the one thing that made the most sense in terms of history itself, and that is SHC. Yeah, it's, I mean, I understand proposing different theories. That makes sense. But at some point, I don't understand why, air quote, scientists don't just say, I don't know. I don't have an explanation. It could be this. It's almost like their fear of not knowing is just so great that they can't even accept that they might not know exactly what happened. And that's not science. Precisely so. We absolutely concur with your wise, astute assessment there. <laughs> um, there. There are a few fire officials that we've had the privilege to work with over the decades who do give credence to the phenomenon. And that's how we've learned about a few of the cases that we've been able to document in our book ablaze. But mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, 
the fire science community, indeed the medical community in general, absolutely abhors having to deal with the subject of SHC. Um, we again and again have been told that either these are smoking mishap accidents. Well, smoking mishap fires occur thousands of times a year just in the United States. And what is left behind is a body that can be picked up, taken to a morgue, autopsied hmm. to see if there's any evidence of foul play, an arson murder, you know, anything like that. When you have a pile of powder and half a leg or foot, <laughs> there's not, not left to autopsy, you know? Right. Um, which raises some interesting factors. Um, we have the death certificate for Dr. Bentley as a legal mm -hmm. document in our home state of Pennsylvania. It is supposed to be an accurate depiction and record of how the person became deceased. Sure. Mm -hmm. In Dr. Bentley's case, officially he died by not SHC, but asphyxiation with a 10 to 90% burning of the body. Now, you, I'm sure, just by looking at your expression, <laughs> you understand what has to be present in order for a coroner, for a medical examiner to, to determine asphyxiation. You need a mouth, you need an esophagus, <laughs> you need the lungs. None of those things right. existed with Dr. Bentley's ashes, you know? So the death certificate is dishonest. Um, that's not the first time mm -hmm. this has happened in our research. Um, when we met with a senior fire investigator for the city of Philadelphia many years ago, having just left the kitchen table of a fire marshal who was involved in one of the classic cases of SHC. Mm -hmm. We had some other cases in our files from the Philadelphia area. We stopped in to see if we could get those files to help us understand and get more information about these other specific cases. And the senior mm -hmm. fire instructor said, first, Larry, I, there's nothing here that I can do to help you. And we said, is that because maybe the files are old and you've relocated them to a different location? We're happy to go there. He said, no, Larry, what you're mm -hmm. asking me about doesn't happen. Therefore, we can't have any files. So we showed him the photos of Dr. Bentley, photos of Mary Reeser, and the photos of Helen Conway um, that we had just discussed with the fire marshal in Upper Darby Township. And we mm -hmm. said to the senior instructor, senior investigator in Philadelphia, if you were called out to a fire scene and these photos would depict what you encountered in real life, in real time, what would your reaction be? How would you explain this to us? We're trying to figure this out, help us understand these fire scenes. Mm -hmm. What would you do? His response was this, quote, I'd go out, I'd get drunk, and I'd forget about it. Wow. At which point he made us pack up our materials and ushered us to the elevator, down the elevator, and to the sidewalk. Wow. He did not want to deal with this. And, and yet he's paid as a professional fire investigator. We would think he would be really yeah. intrigued by this. This was clearly something new yeah. to him that he did not understand, but no, no, no. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Bye-bye, Larry. I, I mean, I understand that people, you know, they they worry about their reputation and things like that. I worry about investigators that don't investigate and investigators that say, well, <laughs> it can't happen, so I'm just going to get drunk and forget about it. That's totally unacceptable from, I mean, yeah. from any yeah. job. I mean, if, if if I went into a restaurant and ordered a pizza and they're like, no, I'm just going to get drunk and forget about it, they'd lose their job. So if if an investigator sure. does that, why is the why is that any different? I mean, if anything, it should be worse. I could not imagine something like this happening to a family member and then being told, nope, it's closed. There's nothing else to talk about. We're not going to talk about it at all. Uh, it's over. I mean, that would that would break my heart. 
but if 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 the research that we do is new to an investigator that's okay we understand that mm -hmm. this is something that is generally not taught in in, in arson schools sure. in fire science but we're showing evidence that consists of photographs that are not photoshopped mm -hmm. evidence that we have acquired from first responders at these amazing fire scenes who do not themselves understand what happened they may be trying to figure out they need help um admit your ignorance but then express a desire to want to learn more yeah we've got a lot to teach these senior fire investigators not just in america but around the world based on our 40 plus years of research ask us some questions we'll answer them to the best of our ability and if we both come up against the wall maybe we can figure out something to help us understand how this amazingly bizarre and yet fascinating phenomenon does occur perhaps even find ways to prevent it from happening to people in the future absolutely but don't tell us you'd rather go out and get drunk don't run away from us down a hallway when we try to hand you a photograph to look at and god please don't tell us that we're a mystery monger um yeah. our, our file on mrs reeser alone is this it weighs a couple wow. pounds. There's a lot of material here, you know. Mm -hmm. The mystery is not us monitoring it. The mystery is in the phenomenon itself. Mm -hmm. And it's crying out for serious research, credible consideration, and someday a solution or solutions. Yeah, and, and I understand, you know, that they're going to, I guess, push resources to things that are, you know, affecting thousands or tens of thousands of people. But if you can save one life, just one, it's worth everything, right? I mean, life is priceless. So don't go out and get drunk, figure out what's going on. And let's see if we can, if we can save somebody and, and Absolutely. people have died from this since you had that interaction, right? Or, or at least been affected by it. I know there's uh, a few people that have actually survived, but um, yes, but yeah. So, so since that time when this investigator, if you can, you know, use that phrase, uh, part-time investigator, maybe um, there's been other people that have been affected. So if he's so smart and he could have, you know, helped figure this out, maybe he could have saved one of those people. And and yep. if you can save a life, it's all worth it. 40 years of hard work, I'm sure that you would be happy to say, you know what? I saved one person. That's it. That's all that, it takes. That, it's worth that, it. That would, yeah. that would be rewarding to us. It would be rewarding also if we'd be nominated and awarded a Nobel Prize in medicine and, or in physics. Um, we're not holding yeah. our breath for that. Um, but to your point sure. with the, with the, um, fire investigator in Philadelphia. Since we met with him, there was a case that happened in upstate New York to none other than a retired firefighter by the name of George Mott. In March of 1986, he had not been seen for a day and a half or so by his son. Kendall went out to the mm -hmm. home, and when he got to the his father's house, he sensed something was amiss inside. He refused to go deep into the house, called a friend who did go in deep and discovered in the far mm -hmm. end of the house, this is 20 by 40 foot tinderbox of an environment outside of mm -hmm. Ticonderoga, New York, discovered in the rear of that house was George Mott's bed. And in the bed of George Mott lay half of a human leg. And at the other end of the bed was a 
head so badly burned that it was hard to recognize as a human skull. Also said by mm -hmm. one of the first responders, the, the county investigator uh, for Essex County, who knew George Mott as a fellow firefighter, he told us that the head had shrunk mm -hmm. to the size of about a grapefruit. Where did we hear that before? In the research case. Yeah. And the rest mm -hmm. of Mr. Mott's body had incinerated through his mattress, through the carpet below the bed, through the floorboards under the bed and into a crawl space below. Once again, the bone, the skeleton wow. was calcined. It was powdered. Uh, we spoke to some of the first responders who scooped up those ashes. Once again, we, we made the effort to go to the fire scene ourselves. In fact, we made two trips up to Crown Point, New York. Spent um, mm -hmm. about 750 man hours along with Tony Moret, who was the county fire investigator at the time, trying to unravel the clues, mm -hmm. the evidence, and document the evidence for Mr. Mott's incineration. Once again, we could stand in, in George Mott's bedroom, as we did in Dr. Bentley's bathroom, stretch our hand up and touch the ceiling, not a scorch mark above the bed through which... George Mott had burned downward. And again, <laughs> in both cases, there was no odor of burned flesh which again would be atypical. Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, I can put a candle on it on the kitchen counter and I have to make sure it's not under the cabinets because the cabinets will get, now they don't catch on fire necessarily, but they get really hot and you can grab a plate or a cup out and, and it'll be hot just from a candle and that's not burning through anything. So, I mean, do you have any theory on how this could be possible where a person would just... I mean, basically just melt and sink and continue to go down and burn holes and not catch everything else on fire? We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Yeah. That's, that's the big question. That's, that is the big question, um, aside from documenting the events itself. Um, the explanation that is offered by mainstream science, um, fire and medical both, is basically that this phenomenon doesn't really happen. It's a hoax. It's a stupid superstition. It's something that belongs in the medieval era, not, not in modern scientific thinking. Um, the photographs and the research that we believe we have done properly and adequately and certainly honestly belie that assessment. So what do they do mm -hmm. next? They offer up this thing called the wick theory, the human wick theory, in which the body is perceived to be an inverted candle. The wick is the clothing that is ignited externally. And then the burning fabric gets hot enough to start rendering out the adipose tissue in the person's body. The fat then becomes the tallow of the candle. And after several hours of a low temperature smoldering fire, supposedly you end up with Mary Reeser or Dr. Bentley or George Mott. If that were so easily accomplished, crematorium operators and owners would not spend $100,000 on a very expensive retort, <laughs> 40 or 50 gallons of fuel oil, a couple million cubic feet of natural gas, filtration systems, permitting, and all the stuff that they need to do to be a business person. Instead, they would lie the cadaver, their customer, on a slab, mm -hmm. lay a lit cigarette or match on it, walk away, have a leisurely lunch, and come back and have a pile of ash to give to the next of kin. They know they can't do that. So why is it said that the wick effect can work in someone's sitting mm -hmm. room or bathroom or bedroom? 
it makes no logical sense to us as to what we think can cause the phenomenon. In Absolutely. our book Ablaze, we offer some 120 theories for the reader to consider. Mm. We cannot prove any of them at this point. This is not something that lends itself to scientific methodology and experimentation in a lab under con con controlled conditions. That does not mean it doesn't happen, does not mean that it can't be explained. Mm -hmm. um, we look at such things as bioelectricity. Every living cell in a person's body has electrical potential. If those cells, billions of cells, billions of cells were to mm -hmm. discharge their electrical potential simultaneously, we think there's enough electrical current to basically electrocute a person from the inside out. In fact, one of the survivor cases, Jack Angel, we have the medical documentation for what caused his mm -hmm. right forearm to be burned black to the bone while he slept, awakened with no pain, unaware that this had happened to him while his body slept. Had other electrical type burn injuries to his body, his medical records, the physicians determined that the best explanation they could offer for how his how their patient was so injured was that it was a fire of internal origin. Okay. That, that certainly fits the concept of spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. We look at Kundalini, we look at quantum physics, we look at geophysics and geography. Um, we look at states of consciousness, perhaps playing a role. Uh, lots of theories to consider, which makes it makes the whole subject kind of fun for us because at this point we're not bounded by any specific idea <laughs> or concept i mean we're open to just about sure. anything that makes reasonable sense to explain this fiery anomaly well and you may not be able to prove why or exactly how it happens but you can prove that all these other explanations are ridiculous because anybody that's barbecued knows that you you know if you forget something on the grill or you know you leave that last hamburger out there got a little burnt nobody wanted it you just left it on there it's still there when you come back three hours later to clean the grill there there's not it doesn't disappear unless a raccoon comes and gets it or something so <laughs> yeah precisely we, we've never heard of a of a of a meat patty at burger king um being reduced to ash on the grill. We have never yet encountered any outdoor barbecue chef who has told us that, as you just said, the hamburger or the T-bone steak, he came back, opened up the grill hood and discovered, oh my gosh, I got a pile of ash in the grill hill. How did that happen? Never encountered it. Or it melted through the yeah, grill. Or melted through the grill, perfect, yeah. In our early research, um, for, for several years, we conducted our own experiments. We took, um, we've seen naysayers of SHC on television take a sliver of fat, wrap it in, in gauze, hold it over a Bunsen burner, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise, the fat will burn. And they say, well, look, this explains how SHC always happens. Well, a sliver of fat over a Bunsen burner is not a 180-pound human being, let's face it, mm -hmm. because a human being has bone. It has a skeleton. In the right. experiments that we've done, we took ham shanks with the bone, wrapped it in um, cotton fabric, and in one case, we marinated in a in mm -hmm. a concoction of whiskey, brandy, and vodka for a year. Took it out, laid it on a piece of linoleum like was in Dr. Bentley's bathroom, put a cigarette sure. on it, and watched it. And after an hour, this was filmed for the BBC in 1999. After an hour, we had 
percent of the ham shank still there. You can see it was ham shank. The bone wasn't burned. You know, it was there intact, looking almost as pristine yeah. as when we began the experiment an hour earlier. So once again, unless we're dealing with a very small segment of the population that is innately hyper-inflammable, the wick, of, the wick theory and anything else that has been offered by mainstream fire science to explain these remarkable <laughs> cases just makes no rational sense whatsoever to us. And I don't understand how someone can go on TV or, or write an article or a book with a straight face and say that they found the answer to it. Because I, I think that they rely on the fact that most people just hear someone with authority, like a, a white lab coat on, and they say, no, this is impossible. And they're like, okay, no, it's impossible. So we don't need to even think about it ever again. We're attempting to do a series of books now since Ablaze has been out for quite some mm -hmm. time that are devoted specifically to individual cases. We're going to throw all the research that we've done on Dr. Bentley into one book and another one we hope for Mary Reeser, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we actually do a, a segment about people in lab coats. It's the psychology <laughs> of someone looking authoritative, right. making a pronouncement that this is the way it's got to be. Oh, he's in a lab coat. He's a professional. It must be true. Mm -hmm. No, we have caught our debunkers, our naysayers again and again in perpetrating falsehoods and lies. Yeah. Um, Dr. Lester Adelson, uh, a pathologist who, who served about 37 years in Cuyahoga County, Ohio, um, as a deputy coroner, mm -hmm. looked at some of the photographs that we've described to your listeners and to you. And he says, these photographs are hoaxes. When asked why, his response was, because bodies don't burn this way. Well, yes, they do. Not often, but often enough that you cannot call these photographs hoaxes. We know the providence of the photographs that we have in our book. Um, these Many of these were taken pre-Photoshop days, being incredibly right, right. difficult to, to fabricate these photos to begin with. And for what reason? Right. The photograph that we have of Dr. Bentley was taken by the newspaper editor who assured us that he would never publish them because they were too. it was too gruesome. Mm -hmm. So why would he go about creating a false set find a mannequin's leg, <laughs> burn a hole in the floor, photograph it, and never intend to publish the photograph. I mean, hello, there's not enough um, no, Glenn Beck tape to wrap around one's head for that. We have other writers who have who've debunked us, who have called us a mystery monger, who have written what they claim to be facts in a case, and we've called them out on it, and they've admitted to us, one has admitted to us in writing and his own penmanship, that yes, I didn't have the eyewitness I claimed to have in writing. Uh, John DeHaan, one of this country's leading fire experts until his transition in 2022, we, we believe it was, we actually have caught him lying on camera, on television, claiming that he was able to prove the wick effect can explain cases like Dr. Bentley, when in fact he knows to the contrary that they had to bring in fire suppression equipment to quell a raging inferno that was about to consume the entire burn chamber. He did not mm -hmm. produce a small localized burn. Why, why these experts who have so much at stake are willing to perpetrate misinformation and outright lies about this subject is both baffling and frustrating yeah. and proves to us that they're not the scientists and skeptics that they purport to be. Well, and I'm fine with skeptics, but debunkers mm -hmm. to me are just people that 
are in it for the purpose of tearing someone else down or tearing someone else's ideas down. And we need skeptics. I'm sure mm-hmm. that you've been skeptical on a ton of things and you went into it and you did your research, you studied, you put in, like you said, just tons of man hours and you're like, well, I don't have an exact theory on it, but these other people, they look at something for 10 minutes and they're like, oh, I got it all figured out. It's debunked. They're crazy. Don't listen to them. I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me and this is going to, I know this is probably not something that's on your radar and it's going to sound crazy, is if there's some sort of weapon that maybe the government knows about or something like that, uh, some sort of direct energy weapon or something that could do this, because it's certainly not someone dropping a cigarette. I, I mean, if you believe that, then you know, I've got a bridge to sell you. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Go to Brooklyn. We got the deed for that bridge. Yeah. Offer us 10 cents and you've got the deed. Um, the U.S. Army, right. Army does have a weapon that will project heat at a distance and cause a, a, a body at distance to become disabled because of the internal heat that this weapon can generate. Um, mm-hmm. Could that explain some of the more recent cases? Probably not, but we're not going to throw the theory out, as you suggest, as something worthy of considering. Uh, our security clearance is not very high, so who knows what else the government has that they haven't told us us all about. But certainly sure. that technology as it exists today cannot explain the cases from the 17 and 18 and 19. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. That's um, the only thing that, that I, like what I can fathom unless there's – unless you want to go really deep and say there's some sort of uh, uh, an alien uh, something went wrong with a an abduction or but i mean those are are you know just way out there even even more than some of the debunkers are are claiming but it's it's just such an odd thing and and so few and far between that you've just got to be i mean it's hard because you being a researcher obviously you don't want anyone to be hurt but you you've got to just be like salivating for a new case like something has to pop up here but i feel like you're the last person they're going to call if something like this pops up they're going to be like we don't want him on it we're, you know we're going to be in a book we're going to be uh, on the internet and and they'll just hide it from you and, and you you really need a, a thorough real investigation that you can get access to to kind of push forward with your research and and it just seems like that's going to be hard to come by it it certainly has been hard to come by the most recent case that we've um willing to stake our reputation on and and back up with the research that we've been able to do on site happened in 2013 in eastern oklahoma um mm-hmm. We have the full set of photographs. We, we met with the first responders, the, the uh, county sheriff, who was willing to consider SHC as a possible explanation for this particular fire fatality in his him. jurisdiction. Um, he took a tremendous amount of grief and ridicule on the internet, so not surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, what those posters did not understand or realize was that before the gentleman became an elected sheriff in Muldrow County. He had worked for 20 years as an arson investigator. Oh, he knew what he knew what to find, what to right. see, and how to explain things at a fatal fire scene until we encountered this particular case. Mm-hmm. And it 
threw out the window everything that he was trained to understand and to expect. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the next of kin, the family, were not willing to cooperate with us to provide us some background, medical and emotional sure. and psychological about the victim. Uh, we desperately seek that kind of information out. It's obviously incredibly difficult to get. Yeah. And in that case, we were not, we were not successful. Um, but I mean, it's not like somebody that's doing drugs is just going to burn up or somebody who's depressed is just going to burn up. It's, I don't know. I mean, as a family member, I think, you know, we never know how it's going to go down or how we'll react until it actually happens to us. But I'd like to think with me, I'd be like, guys, I have no idea. Let's put everything we have out to everyone and let's get together and figure out what this, what mm -hmm. this is. And right. I mean, I feel like if, if you're only getting, you know, one or two cases a year, how many out there are actually happening that people are just like, no, it was a cigarette. No need to, no need to report it. I mean, it's got to be more common than what you have encountered. Otherwise you would have never gotten any of those cases. You know, it's like, it's, there's, there's probably a lot out there that you will just never hear about. And that's really sad. We, we we certainly echo that from our own personal experience. Um, in our database now, we have about 500 cases that fit the, the definition historically of SHC, either survived or classic, as, as in like Dr. Bentley and, and George Mott. Um, so this is, given how many people have been alive on the planet, the billions of people alive um, in the last several centuries, uh, to have mm -hmm. only 500 cases of this phenomenon indicates and, and demonstrates conclusively that this is an extraordinarily rare phenomenon. If this happened as frequently as smoking mishaps, true smoking mishaps happen, um, it would be uh, impossible for, for mainstream fire science to so facilely ignore and debunk it. Um, having said that, we also know that there are cases that we have not yet been able to identify by place and date and name. We've had mm -hmm. some intriguing suggestions and leads through fire seminars and so on about a case that happened in Florida, a case that happened in Arkansas, um, mm -hmm. another case in England or wherever, but we just don't have the information to be able to track down the details of a case to add that to our database. So. Rumors are suggesting that this is more common than even we are willing to, than our, than our research could document. Um, nevertheless, this is an extraordinarily infrequent combustion conundrum. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard any solid theories on it, on how this can possibly happen, but it is so fascinating, not just because of, I mean, if nobody was covering up or debunking or whatever you want to call it, it would be super interesting. But then when you have people that are coming up with these stupid explanations, I, I mean, I would feel stupid to go out and be like, oh, it was a cigarette. I, I mean, I could, it'd be hard for me to look at myself in the mirror and be like, yeah, I said that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so ridiculous. And it's got to be so frustrating for you. And you've been doing it for so long that I, I just really respect that you're sticking with it. And I know you're just running into dead end after dead end, stone wall after stone wall, but you're, you're keep, you keep digging. And uh, yeah, these books sound really interesting because when you can go into it 
and you can give people all the little details. I mean, obviously we're doing a podcast on it, but it's it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that you just can't get into uh, right now. But yeah, the the single books sound really cool where you can just dig into a, a case and you can do your own research. Get the book, get the other books and do your own research if you don't believe it. And then you tell us how this happens. Listeners. Absolutely. We're certainly <laughs> open to that. It's fun doing the it's fun doing the case specific books because we can dig into it in each case in incredible detail and mm-hmm. show all the inaccuracies, all the errors, all the mistakes that have been published since our original research on that particular case came out. Um, it's it's astonishing the amount of misinformation that is generated by using us as the original source material, <laughs> um, but then go into great in, go into great detail about the Wick effect, do the mathematics, do the physics of it, and demonstrate we believe conclusively why, as you so clearly have said already, it's just a stupid, silly, no nonsense explanation to proffer, and should be embarrassing, frankly, to anyone who continues to do so. You know, I always think that I don't know is a really, really strong reflection of the person who's saying it because I'm willing to. I mean, the reason we're doing these episodes is because I don't know. I want to learn more. Um, But there are people that are just not willing to admit that they can't explain something. And it's just such a weird like personality trait that I, I just don't think I'll ever be able to understand it. Yeah. But all right. We, we, well, we've marveled. We've, yeah. We've marveled at that too. This, this, this xenophobia, the fear of the unknown we've, we've found again and again in fire investigators, fire chiefs until they've had a case themselves. And if they're being honest with themselves, then they have to realize there's something here that I wasn't trained to understand. There's something here that yeah. I cannot comprehend based on my two or three decades of experience and training in the fire service community. So rather than going out and getting drunk, not a bad <laughs> thing to do, but not to yeah. not to use that as a means to, to um, divert from honest investigation, right. take a closer look. Let's find somebody who might have some credible background information that would help understand and if not immediately do so get some good thinking together and maybe we can collectively come up with something that each of us individually has overlooked or failed to notice and then we'll have one more mystery solved then we go find something else to investigate well you have certainly turned over every stone that you can and it just, it, I don't understand why people wouldn't just say, hey, let's just, let's figure it out, man. Let's figure it out. And I guess that's, that's the problem with science these days is that, mm. you know, they're not willing to admit they don't know. And it's, it's just a sad state when people that really don't know are the ones that are in charge of, you know, disseminating that information. And they just, make up whatever they want to make up. I understand that, you know, if maybe if you're a sheriff and there's a murder in your county or whatever, you don't want to be like, oh, there could be, you know, 50 serial killers running around our town. You don't want people to panic and to get scared. But I don't feel like this 
this topic is something where people are going to be, you know, freaking out like, oh my gosh, am I going to spontaneously combust? It's not something where hiding the information is like preserving order or preserving sanity or anything like that. It's just done for the sake of hiding in denial. And that's unacceptable. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. You know, we talked a little bit about people all, all being in different situations when this sort of thing is going on. When, um, you know, one person's just sitting in their chair, another person could be, you know, relaxing in their uh, camper or, or anything like that. Are, are there commonalities or patterns or is it just if you're human, this could happen to you? <laughs> yeah, that's, we, we have looked for patterns in a number of aspects and a number of areas to try to make sense of this, to come to see if there is a possible single explanation for these hundreds of cases that um, history has recorded um, as being SHC. The only commonality is that they're human beings. Um, the oldest in our database is said to be a 114-year-old holy man in India. The youngest probably as a six to eight week old toddler in a crib, either the body ignited spontaneously or bedding material in the infant's crib spontaneously ignited. Um, don't have more to say about that case in terms of directing where the, the, the fire originated. It was once said back in the 17 and up until about 1850 by those physicians and scientists who actively pursued the subject um, responsibly, that victims were always female, always elderly, always alcoholic, always overweight. And if the Germans were writing about the subject, the victims were always French. And if the French were writing about the subject, it was always Germans. Um, our research has debunked all those criteria. In our database, which now has about 500 potential cases that fit the concept of SHC, females are represented in 50% of the cases, males 47%, the remaining 3% history doesn't tell us the gender or sex. Um, the elderly are more prone to suffer this flaming fate than are the young. But again, we have teenagers, people in their 20s and 30s, apparently in quite good health, to whom this will also happen. Some are indeed drunkards. Um, in fact, the most recent case that we've had the privilege to meet with the investigating officers and fire professionals happened in 2013 in Oklahoma. The fire photos depict and the descriptions given to us confirm that this fits the classic concept of SHC. Almost Full incineration of the victim, no surrounding fire damage um, to combustibles, uh, no no one, no identified electrical faults at the home, um, just just a burned body. In fact, burned so badly that the um, next of kin who first entered the home, noticing that there was smoke in, coming out of the house, thought there was a trash fire and tried to shovel up what he thought was a, a burning pile of trash in a bag and then realized that it wasn't a trash fire, but it was his relative. Uh, quite a shock. In that case, as, as the fire chief told us, though the fire began and ended 
at the body. Yeah, I I noticed looking through some of the photos and just the research that I did for this that um, <clears throat> it's just really striking how thoroughly burnt the body is. And not only does it not extend to things outside the body or the chair, like you talked about earlier with the, the physician who was elderly and died this way, his leg was left and... When you're telling that story, I was struck by the fact that in so many of these cases, the limbs that are left behind are in almost perfect condition. Like the the person checking on the gas yes. who had found him said that it looked like a mannequin leg because presumably it was almost like it was untouched. I mean, the photos that I saw, like you know, are, are generally older. They're on film. Maybe they're not as great a quality as something that we would have. You know, if you had a professional photographer go in, but they look like they weren't even exposed to heat. It's really strange. Yeah, it's a very cogent observation. Yeah, I mean, I, I just you, you've talked about ways. Yeah, you've you've talked about ways to explain away the phenomena, and I was, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, smoking was more common. Smoking indoors was more common. Smoking in bed while you're reading or watching TV or listening to the radio was more common. Uh, but even in those cases, I would assume the whole bed would burn, not just the person in the leg. I've, I've never heard a good explanation from somebody trying to debunk this as to why it would burn For sure. my torso to ash but leave my legs behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very cogent observations. We commend you. We, we wish we had uh, could, wish we could deal with more fire professionals. Who would be thinking just as you as you have done? Uh, we might be closer to, to solving this this enigma. Um, another one of our debunkers, uh, Mark Benecki, um, internationally renowned uh, forensic anthropologist, um, has has also tried to do the, the the Wick experiment, and in our view, he's not succeeded in doing so. But one of his reasons for excluding SHC from reality is his statement that there is no known case in which internal organs are burned more completely than external body parts. That's almost a direct quote. Therefore, SHC, presumably people are burning from the inside out, doesn't happen. Well, Mr. Benecki's statement to refute SHC is flat ass wrong. There were no internal organs at Dr. Bentley's apartment there was a pile of ash about 14 inches in diameter, five inches in height on the earthen floor of Dr. Bentley's basement. No lung, no heart, no pancreas, no liver, no organ, zippo, none. In the case that we just mentioned from Oklahoma in 2013, that victim left behind a heart, two feet, a head, upper shoulders, and four arms heart only, no other internal organs remained. So Mr. Benecki's criteria for refuting SHC is out the window, doesn't work. He's got to explain, as Ryan has just pointed out, how the center part of the body can incinerate itself so completely, perhaps leaving some extremities behind to show that that once was a living human being, the extremities appear in some cases, to be almost completely unscathed. That's part of the mystery and part of the fascination. Are there any cases that you're aware of where where uh, someone was 
burned on the inside, you know, maybe died and they were burned on the inside, but they weren't burned to ashes. And this would be maybe a, a like an SHC case that didn't kind of fully develop. Maybe is there any cases you know of like that? Uh, we, we could say that probably of most, if not all, the survivors that we've interviewed, uh, the one that comes immediately to mind and closest to the scenario they've put to us to try to answer, involved a traveling salesman by the name of Jack Angel in 1974. He was parked, parked his motorhome in, in um, Savannah, Georgia, outside of Ramada Inn, put himself to bed for the night in the motorhome, expecting to meet with a potential client the following morning. Um, when he did awaken in his motorhome, he realized that his right forearm had charred mm. black to the bone. Wow. And yet his pajamas were not singed. The sheets on which he slept were not burned. He felt no pain. He got up, got dressed, exited his motorhome, walked into the Ramada Inn, and then lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, he realized to discover that he was in the Savannah Memorial Hospital, surrounded by a team of physicians mm -hmm. and medical staff, pondering how a patient could have burned in this fashion. The skeptics have told us that Jack Angel awakened during the night, went out, fiddled with his um, plumbing, water fixtures on his motorhome, scalded himself, went back in, fell asleep, forgot this <laughs> happened. Big problems. Big problems. The, um, these are the, the burdens that Jack experienced were deep char burn injuries. You don't get deep char burns from scalding water in a motorhome. The motorhome was actually torn down to the wheelbase by a team of right. liability attorneys that represented Jack Angel. They had a multi-million dollar lawsuit that they were going to file against the motorhome, presuming that there was an electrical fault or their plumbing issue or something like this. They had the vehicle torn down to the wheelbase looking for an external ignition mm -hmm. source. They could not find one. Furthermore, we have the medical records from Jack's treatment in the hospital. He was given two options by his physicians. The burn to his right forearm were so severe, they said we can try to do reconstructive surgery without much hope of success, or we can amputate the arm at the elbow. He opted for the latter. When we met with Jack Angel, we will never forget him waving the stump of his right arm in front of us and saying, Larry, I was burned by spontaneous human combustion. What the hell was it? I don't know, but nothing else makes any sense. We also have Jack's medical records. The medical records say that Jack was burned, quote unquote, from the inside out. That by definition from a team of attending medical practitioners, mm -hmm tells us that his burns originated inside his body and burned to the surface. Besides the charring to the bone of his right forearm, he had other kinds of electrical type burn injuries in his chest, on his groin, on the nape of his neck. And yet remember, his pajamas did not singe, the sheets on which he slept, and we have the photographs to document this, the sheets were not burned. 
So whatever happened to Jack Angel while he slept happened from inside his body and mm-hmm. burned outward to the surface. Wow. And you said that there are multiple survivors that you've talked to? Yes. Are their experiences usually similar and that they don't know how it happened, didn't feel pain and that sort of thing? Or is there are there not maybe commonalities between them? Yeah, the, the commonality is, again, that it's either a, a male or female. It's a person. It's a human being. Um, they were not next to or in contact with a radiant heat source, an external ignition source, uh, electrical failures or malfunctions, anything external that could cause the burn injuries. Beyond that, there's not a lot of commonality. Um, Kay Fletcher was a housewife or is a housewife living in uh, in the 80s in Ohio. She was cleaning up Sunday morning breakfast dishes at the sink and she felt a light heat sensation moving up her spine towards her shoulder. She turned her head to the left to look to see if she might have caught a tea towel or her garment on something that would have ignited externally. And what she saw was smoke, smoke coming from her left shoulder. Her husband was nearby. Her screams mm-hmm. brought him into the kitchen. He ripped off her outer garments, then her undergarments, and saw the smoke was coming from her flesh. Left a first-degree burn injury by the time she got to meet with her physician that that redness had 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 gone away mm-hmm. he obviously had no explanation to give to her slightly more extreme or uh, a lady in um, canada um, whom we interviewed extensively had more severe damage to her body she had to call off work um, she had some forewarnings um, a more intense sensation of heat building up in her body the most extreme case would that we've interviewed so far who survived with was jack angel who had, as we said, severe deep char burning to the bone of his right forearm. So these incidents are definitely happening, and you're being told that you're wrong. Is there anybody that's doing research on it, or is it just, no, he's wrong, it's over, let's all forget about it? There have been a few other authors who have, who've looked into this. Um, John, uh, Mr. Hamer uh, from England is has done, we feel, the best work counted ours. Um, but his research is not as extensive as ours. And whereas he had the opportunity to, to interview some cases in his home country of the UK and chose not to, when we took trips to the UK, we did track down those cases. We have stood in the homes of many of the places where these victims incinerated. And as we said, we, we've tried to talk to every professional, uh, every eyewitness, every every witness that we could find to get as much information about every individual case that we can looking for patterns. When we were in Lincolnshire, uh, we had a number of cases that, that happened in the Lincolnshire area of, of England. We stopped in to meet with the Shire Fire Brigade commander, introduced ourselves, explained why we were there and suggested that there might be some cases that happened in his jurisdiction that we did not know about. Could he help us out? Brigade commander first said, nope, you know what, I, 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 I can't think of any case that kind of fits what you're looking at or looking for. And then he got really quiet and he pushed himself away from his desk and we could almost see the wheels in his brain turning around as he's trying to recall something. And John pulls himself back up to his desk and he says, 
Well, you know, a couple years ago, now that I think about it, we had this case that didn't make any sense. It was an old man who lived alone in a tar paper shack, a tinderbox of an environment. And his neighbors said that they had not seen him for a couple of days. So they called out the fire department. We went in, couldn't find him, went back out, said he's not here. And the neighbor said, he's got to be in there somewhere because we haven't seen him come out of the house. They went back in and they finally realized that between stacks of newspaper about this far apart that they could barely walk between the stacks of newspaper was a pile of ash on the floor. And that ash was the gentleman who lived in that home. So he was burned so completely that on first investigation, first perusal, they couldn't find a body. They couldn't find any human being in there. On closer examination, um, actually being forced to do so, they, they finally realized that they were literally walking through the remnants of the resident of that tar, tar paper shack of an environment. Wow. We do have a few fire officials, a few first responders who are willing to not debunk the evidence. That's crazy. So it just burnt him, but... Burnt him, burn a human body to powder and failed to incinerate stacks of newspaper literally inches away, did not ignite the oil-soaked fabric that he used as windows in his shack. Um, if, if the neighbors would not have insisted that he had to be in that environment, um, he probably never would have found. They would have assumed that he walked away and died somewhere over the next dale. We do have, as we said, um, a few experts in the field who have been at these fire scenes or, her, or who have looked at our research and find it credible. Um, they're willing to come out and say, yes, there really is a mystery here that we need to look at more thoroughly, more honestly, to try to figure out how these things happen and if they can be prevented. That's part of the goal of our research, to see if we can prevent this phenomenon from afflicting people in the future. Case in upstate New York in 1986, the victim was a retired firefighter, George Mott. We made two trips up to the Ticonderoga area where he died. Um, again, met with the local fire investigators, the county emergency preparedness officials. Um, they all agreed with us that George Mott, retired firefighter, managed to burn himself through his bed through the wood flooring beneath the bed, leaving a pile of calcined powder and ash and a few very small bone fragments on the earthen floor below his bed. On the bed itself, he left behind half of one leg, much as Dr. Bentley did in his bathroom in 1966. And at the other end of the bed was a head, also said to have shrunken in size, according to the local fire official who knew George Mott uh, as a fellow firefighter. No damage, no heat singeing to the ceiling directly above George Mott's bed um, was not a scorch mark. We stand six feet with our arms stretched. We could touch the ceiling above the bed, and yet there was not a scorch mark on it. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. We asked Mark Benecki, Joe Nickel. We could have asked John DeHaan. Hmm. I don't think you need to be a firefighter to... You should not need to be a firefighter. Yeah, I remember watching, like, uns I think it was Unsolved Mysteries back in probably the early 90s, and they talked about, I'd never heard of this before that, I was pretty young, and they 
the stories that they were telling were, you know, that somebody walks into the other room and you see a flash. Like in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when the tree goes up in flames, like, whoosh, and then they go in the room and the person is gone. Just a pile of ash that it's, like, incredibly fast. And it this is one of the phenomena that has actually bothered me because I genuinely believe in it. Because we see, like with these pictures, we see the same thing. We see this complete combustion on part of the body and not others. It's not spreading to other things, so it must be really intense, really fast. Like too fast for moisture and humidity to wick out of the things around it and for those to catch. And so I totally support your research. I would very much like you to figure out what's causing this. Uh, one of the theories that I've that I've read a little bit of, I read the abstract. It was uh, a report from twenty or a, a research paper from I think 2012, 2011, somewhere in there. And their idea was that it had to be a very, you know, the the rarity of these cases was because it had to be a very specific set of circumstances. The person had to die. The fat in the body had to melt. There had to be some kind of cut or incision to, to kind of get this, you know, they are talking about the candle or the, the human wick effect that you were talking about. And yeah. I just don't know if I buy that. that. That feels like a lot of assumptions that have to all be true for this to work this way. And it's really hard to look for a lot of commonalities because there's no, I mean, you seem to be the only person doing any kind of credible research on this. Who's not also trying to say that it's all BS and we shouldn't worry. You, about you it. raise the, the biggest problem for us is trying to explain or present credible ideas as to how this might occur in our book of blaze. We, we, talk about more than 120 different ideas or theories. One of the problems is, and this comes back to the comment that Joe Nickel said to us, you know, your cases are all over the place, Larry. Well, that's what history has presented to us. So that's what we deal with. We're not going to throw out nine cases and take 10 cases because those 10 cases are alike. That would be dishonest scientifically and ethically. So the challenge is, are we looking for one single causative mechanism that can explain Jack Angel and Kay Fletcher and Helen Conway and Mary Weiser and George Mott and Dr. Bentley? The cases are too different. So one of the challenges and one of the problems for us or for any investigator of this subject is the wide variety of circumstances and situations that the victims present as evidence. So we don't believe at this point that there's a single mechanism, one theory that, that can explain the entire database. So that's a challenge. Unless there's a small percentage of the human population that has some hyperinflammability in their genes or in their biology, then we, we can't at this point look at one single avenue to pursue in trying to explain the phenomenon. The evidence is just too varied. So we look at biochemistry, we consider bioelectricity. As we said earlier, we do not believe these fires can be explained as an oxidizing type of combustion. An electrical fire makes a lot more sense to us. We look at quantum physics. Um, 
we'll look at geography. You mentioned earlier about patterns. We look for patterns. Can we find a set of commonality in research? Or well, we found, at least for the cases that we have in the, in the United Kingdom, where we have more cases per capita of this phenomenon, both involving humans and spontaneous property fires, when we've plotted those incidents on a large map, we have discovered back in 1975 that more than 80% of those anomalous fire cases can be connected by straight alignments. One alignment of perhaps a dozen cases roughly parallels the east coast of England going up into Scotland. Um, statistically, that is hugely significant. Um, so one theory involves being at the right place, but at the wrong time geographically, that there is an earth energy, a telluric energy that interacts with a person's biology mm -hmm. to cause it to go into hyper hyperheat, into cause the, the, the body's hypothalamus gland, um, the body's thermostat to go haywire and, and literally fry the body from the inside out. It's a theory. We can't take it to the laboratory, but it's something to consider until we find something that maybe we can take to the laboratory. Well, that makes sense. Are there any quote unquote researchers that are putting anything out? I mean, is anybody even, I mean, even a direct energy weapon, you know, if it were the size of a pistol would make more sense than some of the stuff that's that's being put out there. Is there anything that intrigues you? Like, oh, yeah, we need to look into that. Well, the, the U.S. Army does have a weapon um, that can cause a body to heat at a distance. Um, it does work. It can debilitate a person, and the energy is sufficiently focused on a particular person, probably SHC would ultimately result. Uh, on a plane flight back from doing a television show in, in California, a seatmate said that he worked for a government agency and he seemed to have some familiarity with the subject that we were talking to him uh, mm -hmm. about. And um, he, made, he made some aside remarks that suggested to us that there is a part of our government that might know quite a bit about this subject, but obviously are not talking sure. about it. Um, talking about government involvement, um, in the research case from 1951, her remains were supposedly sent to the FBI for analysis. Um, we tried to get that report initially out, out of um, the FBI under Freedom of Information Act. They turned us down. Um, We've later been able to get that through a secondary source, um, but there's a lot of conflict there. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, including some of the photographs that they say associate with the research case that just, they look more like a warehouse, which is, uh, we've been to Mary's apartment in St. Pete. Um, it does not look like a warehouse. Sure. Um, it's just, there's trying to separate the garbage from the fact and then take the facts and the real evidence, not something that someone's made up and presented as fact, um, makes our research into this phenomenon incredibly difficult. We are doing a series of books now that are focused on individual cases in incredible detail. The first one probably will be about Dr. Bentley's immolation in 1966. Um, we go through okay. all the misinformation that we have been able to discover that others have put out about Dr. Bentley's death. Um, researchers who did a book about spontaneous human combustion um, devoted in, in the book um, basically two, two sentences to Dr. Bentley's demise. And in those sentences, they made three factual errors. Um, 
which we obviously are striving to correct because if somebody after us comes along, we want them to have the real evidence, the real set of facts. Maybe there is something that is so clear to them that sure. we simply can't perceive and they'll figure out the mystery and, and sure. come up with the answers. But in order to do that, they need to have the truthful facts and information, not something that someone has made up and presented as fact that truly is not. For sure. Brian, do you have any uh, final questions you want to ask? I, yeah, I mean, I do. I have other thoughts about it. Some of them are based on notes from you, Jay, and just things that I'm thinking about here. But I mean, coming at it from a scientific sort of perspective, it, I mean, I guess maybe I'm underestimating how rare the cases are, but it does seem like they're different enough in a significant enough way from a normal burn or a normal arson case or something that um, like firefighters and first responders should recognize that there's something different about this. But maybe it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, this UFO disclosure that we've had going on lately where pilots see this stuff, but they're, yeah. they're made fun of or ridiculed for mentioning it. So it might be one of those things where a firefighter shows up, he sees this is definitely a case of spontaneous human cremation. But I have to say that they were smoking in bed or they dropped their pipe on their lap or something like that. And I'm yeah. wondering if, I mean, you, you said that the one, uh, fire chief basically said, well, now that I think about it, there are cases, but do you get the impression that maybe some of these people are avoiding talking about it or avoiding at least talking about it in such recognizable terms? We, we, we don't only get the impression. We know for a fact that that happens far, <laughs> far too often. Um, so while, while you and we both agree that this is an extraordinarily rare phenomenon, we also yeah. know that it happens more often than we know, because we know there are cases. We've been tipped off to cases that we've not been able to identify, to track down. And those tips come from professional firefighters. Um, one story that, well, there's, there's a couple stories. We'll, we'll throw this one at you first, at least. After we met with Bob Meslin to go over the time frame and all the details of the Helen Conway case, that he was personally involved with. From his kitchen in Upper Darby Township, we drove downtown to Philadelphia to fire station headquarters in Philly because we had some cases in Philadelphia that we wanted to further document. We met with a senior fire official that day, introduced ourselves, explained why we were there. And he said, <clears throat> can't help you, Larry. Don't have the files. I said, well, did you maybe, you know, these are some old, fairly old cases. Did you move them to another location? Uh, we'll go there. He said, no, no, that's not it. Well, I don't have anything to give to you, Larry, because what you're asking about doesn't happen. Okay. Hmm. At which point we opened our briefcase. We took out and laid on his desk Dr. Bentley's photograph. We laid on his desk Helen Conway's photograph that we had just gotten from the fire marshal in Upper Darby. I said, you're the expert. Explain these. Oh, they, they, these people drop cigarettes on themselves. The human wick effect. Okay. If these people burned up by the wick effect because they were careless smokers, we've met with fire chiefs and fire marshals who have dealt with smoking mishap fires, 
and they all tell us that those fires don't in any way remotely resemble the photographs that we just put on your desk. And if the body was so easily burned by a drop cigarette, don't you think people who own crematoria and are businessmen providing not just a service, but looking to make a profit, wouldn't they rather than invest $100,000 in a retort and filters and a cremulator and licensing fees and permits just buy a pack of cigarettes and for a couple of pennies lay a lit cigarette on the cadaver and let it smolder while they go out and have a nice leisurely lunch and a couple cocktails? I said again, you're the expert. Yeah. I said, you're the expert. Big, big cremations uh, at this hidden. It's big crematorium. If you were called to a fire scene and you saw what these photographs that we've put on your desk look like, how would you explain it? What would you do? We would never forget the response. Direct quote, I'd go out, I'd get drunk, and I'd forget about it. At which point we were told to pack up the photographs, and he literally escorted us not just to the elevator, but down the elevator to the ground floor and to the sidewalk. He did not want to deal with the evidence. That to us is incredibly mm. sad. Because yeah. he's a professional well, it's a very confronting thing, probably, to realize, like I did when I saw that uh, unexplained mysteries or whatever it was, that this kind of thing can just happen. It's probably something you'd rather just get drunk and forget about and not have to worry about it anymore. But, yeah, it is so rare. It's Anybody out there who's listening to this should probably not be worrying about it just in their daily life that they can be driving to work and burst into flames. But it does happen, and hopefully you can get to the bottom of why or how. And it, I don't know. I could just continue to speculate on it from uh, – I mean, I took a lot of engineering classes. I've also taken and taught statistical analysis. So I'm, from that perspective, it's really interesting just to theorize on – you know, what the mechanisms could be and how many there are and whether it's it seems to be dependent on, you know, some environmental thing. I was thinking initially not, but you're saying, you know, sort of, uh, I don't want to say ley lines exactly, but just energetic fields or, or whatever might be able to trigger it or exacerbate it. But it's... Uh, Yeah, or she was vaping in bed. You've seen those, you've seen batteries blow up. That's probably what they'll say in the future is they had a vape or they had a cell phone and the battery exploded. And do you get, I mean, do you know why there's such resistance to even looking into it apart from your arch enemy who just seems to be opposed some, like in his soul, he seems to be opposed to the idea, but I'm curious as to why Our, firefighters and other professionals would be just so against even really looking at it. Is there, I mean, they can't really be hiding anything. I could understand the government wanting to weaponize the phenomena if they figured it out and not necessarily wanting to tell anybody, but it's been reported as far as I can find, you know, as far back as the 17th century, there are mysterious occurrences like this, but I don't know why there'd be a conspiracy to hide it. Um, best, best answers that we found so far from, from dealing with hundreds of 
um, fire investigators around the world. A, their opposition to the research that we've done is either because of xenophobia, they're simply afraid of the unknown, or they want to protect their academic credentials and standing among their colleagues. This is something that belies what they've been taught in in their fire training. Um, when we were, we were perhaps the first non-firefighter who was allowed to attend an advanced arson training course at the Pennsylvania Fire Academy many years ago. Um, this is not something that is taught even to, you know, an advanced fire science to our knowledge, uh, with rare exceptions. Um, when we were down at the National Fire Academy wrapping up our research before publishing Ablaze, uh, we had the opportunity to meet with three of the senior fire instructors on duty that day. Two of them either expressed no interest or disinterest in what we were trying to discuss with them. The th third one overheard that conversation and said, looked at what we had and said, come into my office, tell me everything you know, because we don't have a clue. Awesome. That's the kind of attitude yeah. that we would love to encounter with every firefighter professional that we've had the opportunity to meet with. Um, blessedly, some of them have been open-minded and are, are willing to share with us their mystification, their confusion, their bafflement. Um, unfortunately, those cases so far have been pretty rare. It's much more likely that we're going to encounter someone who says, drop cigarette, human wick effect, and uh, no mystery here. Have you gotten ball yeah. lightning as an explanation? Because that's that that seems to be very popular. Like, oh, it's Bigfoot. No, it was ball lightning. Oh, well, well, it was a UFO. No, it was ball lightning. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. We have a few cases in our book where ball lightning or fireballs in the air um, have been seen, uh, have been observed to be the cause of limited spontaneous human combustion. Uh, certainly not the sudden human cremation classic cases that, that um, many of the cases that we've been talking about tonight would, would amplify. Um, Interesting, when we began our research or when we, were, when we first read about the subject back in junior high school, we're talking the early 1960s, ball lightning was as fiercely denied and refuted <laughs> then as SHC is now. As you both know, ball lightning now has been produced in a laboratory. It's been well documented in the outside global environment. So something that was impossible then is now widely accepted and now can be applied in a few cases to something that is still unexplained. Right. And another thing that I was thinking about while you were talking about this and before we got disconnected for a minute is uh, there's a documentary I was watching recently and I don't remember the specifics because it was just for entertainment, not for research, but it was uh, they were interviewing a couple of archaeologists and scientists about you know how humans got to the Americas and how long they'd been there and kind of how human life spread and the prevailing theory was that humans had only been here for about 12,000 13,000 years and the scientists like what you're doing in the 70s were finding sites where these things seemed to date back further 
And at first they were pushing back and pushing back. And one of them was talking about in his interview, he was talking about how, you know, these other professors that he worked with at whatever university it was, were signing a petition saying basically that he's unhinged. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's lost the plot. He thinks humans have been here for 15,000 years or 20,000 years. But over the last 40 years, that's now been accepted. They found evidence of pre-Clovis cultures and civilizations that are not only in North America, but spreading down to Mexico, Central America, and who knows how far. But, I mean, it's there, there is a huge amount of pressure to go with whatever the conventional wisdom is, to go with whatever it is you learned in school. Like you're talking about, the firefighters don't want to say that this is a possibility when what they were taught when they were learning about it was, you know, the most likely cause and the most likely cause probably still is dropping a cigarette on yourself. We have to be open to other ideas, I think, to be effective at, at your job. If you're trying to prevent this stuff in the future and not just purely be reactive. So, so true. So valid. Um, that, that reminds us of a quote by John Locke. This comes back from, from um, the early 17th century, but John Locke said, new opinions are always suspected and usually opposed without any other reason, but because they are not already common. Yep. I would agree with that. 100%. Yeah. That seems like a great place to wrap it up. Can you tell everyone where they can find all your stuff again? We'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, the website is parascience.com. Uh, you can contact us um, through the website. The email address that we prefer for this subject is, as you said earlier, um, ideally suited S H C happens at gmail um you can also get a um you can uh, order the book directly from us we'll personally inscribe it uh, or you can go to amazon.com and you can find the book there um, we would love to hear from your audience either with questions um, that this this discussion tonight might have inspired them to consider with suggestions as to how these cases can be rationally explained or maybe with cases that they know about that we don't know about we're always obviously looking for new cases because the more data that we have to work with ideally the better off we will be someday to or one of our future um, counterparts will be able to come up with an answer or answers to explain this phenomenon it's one that presently in our view remains unexplained truly unexplained um, for many it's unbelievable and as you and we and your listeners surely know, this universe is full of magical things patiently waiting for which to grow sharper. And spontaneous human combustion, sudden human cremation is certainly at the top of the list for things that um, need to have which sharpened. All right. That's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Thanks for listening. Ryan, final thoughts. Still terrified, mildly. I'm not comforted by anything that we really talked about. It's uh, really scary to realize that there are dangerous and deadly phenomena that are being ignored by people who should be researching this and reporting on it because it doesn't fit within what they like the framework of how they were educated or the things that they're that are accepted things that they're supposed to believe in. 
think they'd be excited about studying something new. Man, I can figure something out. Nobody's figured out. Oh, look at this guy. He says spontaneous human combustion. That's stupid. Here's the real answer. Nobody does that. They they say that that's stupid part, but nobody has a real answer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I would like to have talked to Larry and, and come away from it thinking, He's a little woo and I don't, I don't actually believe in this anymore, but he's given us a lot of good stories, a lot of good evidence. He's talked to a lot of people and told us stories about their reactions. I mean, the, the fire chief who didn't want to know about it. Yeah. And the, the people who should be investigating it or responding to it, who just don't want to hear about it. Don't want to look at pictures of it. They don't want to know anything about it. That, that is scary. There's no real other way to say it. Irresponsible. I just don't understand how you can't be excited if if studying fire is your thing. And th- and mm. there's a lot of people like that. Wouldn't this be the most exciting thing? I mean, maybe you do a little bit more research than just look at the first article that pops up and and say, "Man, I want to I want to find out about this. I know it's not killing 20 million people a year, but I mean, if you're one of those five or 10 people a year that maybe die from this or just one person, wouldn't it be worth it to do some investigating if you could just save one life? Yeah. Would be to me. I mean, I, and the other part of it that bothers me is Larry's not trying to put forth an explanation that's like crazy. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to say, you know, it's not, I don't know. I mean, we, we hear in our research and I mean, I know that we both listen to and read some strange stuff. We both hear some pretty bizarre explanations for things, mm-hmm. you know, something that might have a mundane terrestrial explanation. Somebody might put out a theory that it's caused by this kind of energy leaking in from the fifth dimension or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. there's nothing like that here. Yeah. You know, if, if that's the way this was being discussed and if that's what was in the book, I could see people pushing back on it and saying like, no, this probably doesn't even happen at all. You have this bizarre explanation, but he's saying, I don't know what it is. Right. Right. I know what happens. I don't know what causes it. That's seems like a totally rational, reasonable (laughs) thing to say. I don't know why there's so much resistance to it or uh, his arch enemy who's telling people like, no, this fire chief isn't really an expert witness. Yeah. That guy, I I just, I don't even, he's not a skeptic. He's an absolute debunker. He is the fact checker on Facebook that, you know, pisses people off. And like I said, come at me with some real research. Do it yourself then. If you're so smart, figure out what it is. Because like you said, he's not saying that, you know, an alien seeded your womb and and you're now going to catch fire. You know, he's not saying we planted a uh, device inside you that's going to melt you from the inside and it's a government test. He's saying, what the fuck's going on here, fellas? And all the people that are call themselves ex- experts are like, yeah, it's, it's just a cigarette. It's all, that's all it can be. It can't be 
No, the other facts, they don't matter. What makes what makes the most sense to keep the public less scared or more in the dark is that she dropped a cigarette on her lap or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've been driving with friends before and had a buddy drop a cigarette in the floor. Mm-hmm. The whole car should have gone up. <laughs> if that's the explanation. It should have blown up like it does in Hollywood, right? <laughs> dropped a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Got to be careful. But. No, it is the weird, it's the weird things that we see sometimes where people are like personally attacked instead of having their facts attacked. Yeah, well, and that's something you do when you don't have an argument if you attack the person. Right, right. And I I sympathize with Larry a lot too because I have also had, I wouldn't characterize them as arguments, but debates with people. Mm-hmm. But I'm generally open to being proven wrong about something. If, if somebody can tell me that I'm wrong and explain how and why that's great. Mm-hmm. And I've said, like I've had arguments with people at work about stuff where I'll send them an email and say like, Hey, you know, can you explain how this happened in the way that you're saying it did? Like, how did this go wrong? And I try to do it in a way where, it's very open. I would like you to explain what you think happened, but they take it in a very, it, the first reaction seems to be to assume that you are being sarcastic. Yeah. The way this guy, Larry is telling us the story that he sent the guy a letter saying, if you're, if you so conclusively prove that this was not human combustion, please let us know what witness you talked to. And the guy comes back like, well, you obviously know since you're being so sarcastic that I did not have a witness. This is just the web, you know, and then he just goes on and it's, it's infuriating just listening to Larry's account of receiving this letter, let alone being the one who's being attacked by it. Right. Right. And it's, yeah, I've had that kind of reaction before. So I have to be very careful to be like, I am genuinely asking you to explain your side of this so we can figure out what's going on. Because I've had, like I'm saying, I've had stuff go wrong in projects where all you have to do is get together mm-hmm. and actually look. Be like, all right, if the problem's not on my end and the problem's not on your end, must be something else. And we've genuinely found like issues with some yeah. of our systems where it's like, oh, when I put this information in, it doesn't make it to you. Cool. This is a tool problem. We need to let IT yeah. know and they can fix it. And it feels like if people work together, you know, hey, from the firefighting side, we see this. From the researching side, after the fact, you see that. There might be more data that you could collect, more patterns like we were talking about that you could look for, and more commonalities that might narrow down what what the mechanism is behind this. Yeah, well said. I really don't have anything else to say on the topic. I mean, I do think that it has happened. I don't think that it's common at all. Mm-hmm. Don't think you have to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it, but you know, it, it does happen. So, I mean, I know that's kind of a weak final thought, but I, I, I think it happens. It's, it's either, I think that there's people that are just repudiating it to be, you know, oppositional for no real reason. And I think that there's probably a reason behind why some people are being so combative over it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, combative. That's a good word. Let, let, we don't want to talk. We want to fight. 
you know what, let's just get in the ring and box it out. And whoever is a better boxer has the smarter comment. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. come on, grow up. I want to see uh, Larry have a rap battle with this guy, with this skeptic. It's almost like performative skepticism. <laughs> yeah. Like giving you the, the appearance of like researching it, but really you're going to, your conclusion is what it's going to be. You're just giving people the illusion that you're open to another idea. Well, and, and you can see how things are worded too, even though he may not be saying it, the way that, that things are worded is, I guess, it seems like an attack, right? So, but that's sad, but that's all we've got for you tonight. Please like, subscribe, and share. Socials are in the notes. You can let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our cool shirts at crypticpodcaststore.com. And it's getting chilly here in the loo, so you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash crypticpi. And remember, in the quiet glow of cremation, we find solace knowing that from the ashes, the soul takes flight into the boundless expanse of eternity. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.